Bible. A deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, fresh off the train from Stupid Town. <laughs> and with me, as always, always is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is Season 2, Episode 9. If you didn't listen to Episode 8, then that opening makes no sense, so I encourage you <laughs> to go back and check out Episode 8. You should listen to them all. Yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> at least all of Season 2, so you know where we're at. Um, and as always, we pray that we're Sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Real quick, we finally made it to Pandora. We finally Pandora who? <laughs> it only took them what? I, I submitted this podcast in September, and they finally got it late Jan- mid-January. So I've been waiting for this. Anyway, <laughs> if you if you haven't listened, all of a sudden you found us on Pandora. Hi. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're on yeah. every other major. You've got some catching up to yeah, do. Yeah, we've got we've been on every other listed listing everywhere but Pandora. So <laughs> anyway. Um we continue our walk through the Gospel of Matthew. Rocky, what chapter and verses are we covering this week? We're going to finish chapter 11. Today we're in verses 20 through 30 of chapter 11. And what translation are we working from this evening? Working from our, our my personal favorite, the New Living Translation, NLT, my, pretty much my go-to. Uh, and again tonight, uh, you can read along in just about any translation, and it'll be pretty close to, to what – they're all very similar. So no no real significant translational differences tonight. Okay. Uh, Matthew writes, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. At that time... Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Amen. Amen. Wow. So this one kind of turns the knob even farther one direction and then comes all the way back in the other <laughs> side, if you will. Yes. There's a lot of mood going on here. What's the, what's the context here? Um, 
keeping all in mind of chapter 11? You know, all of chapter 11 is about keeping the faith. Uh, In verses 1 through 10, John the Baptist sends that message. Are you the one, or did I make a colossal blunder when I anointed you as the Messiah? And, And Jesus sends back the message, no, no, you know, look at what I'm doing. Look at my actions. Clearly, I am the one. And then he starts talking to this crowd of his own disciples that are gathered there because they're a little panicked about, well, if John doesn't believe in you, should we? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus has, uh, in, verse, in the first 10 verses, this, this expose of doubt doesn't negate faith. Doubt is natural, and it happens to everybody, but keep the faith. And then last week, we're in verses 11 through 19, where Jesus goes on to tell him, you know, now that John has announced me, Everything has changed. Uh, There's before me and after me. The world is going to be divided that way. And the world uh, is going to be hostile to you if you're one of my disciples. You know, he says, uh, the church, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men attack it. Uh, And that continues on to this day. You know, we've, we've got... People in every walk of life trying to tell us, you Christians are fools. Uh, There is, if Jesus even lived, he certainly wasn't God. And it's been 2,000 years, give up on him coming back. So the the world continues to assault our faith, our belief today. Well, in these last 10 verses, Jesus takes shot at two more groups of of people. Uh, It's the people that, I want you to do something for me, Jesus, but I'm I'm a little too smart to believe in what you're preaching. I want your your actions, but I don't want your message. And and, and that's who he's coming down on tonight. Uh, that group, hmm, uh, people who intelligent or make the decision. I'm too intelligent. I'm too educated for faith. Interesting. So he kind of goes on, and he. Starts blasting at some towns. Yeah. Right. He's he's blasting against Chorazin and Bethsaida, which are what northern Israel towns. In fact, isn't Jesus's base kind of out of Peter's house there in somewhere near or in Bethsaida? It's in Capernaum. Capernaum. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's um. This is this. We're coming up on the end of his second full year of ministry. Uh, thanks to the Gospel of John, we know he spent six to nine months down in Judah, down around Jerusalem, doing some initial work. That's where he picked up several of his uh, disciples from John the Baptist. And then he came back north, tried to work out of his hometown of Nazareth. That did not go well at all. They tried to stone him and kill him. Uh, And so he ends up operating out of Peter's house in Capernaum. It's a fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so if you wonder, why did the Apostles and Jesus spend so much time on the Sea of Galilee. It's because Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John are all partners in a fishing business. And from time to time, you got to go get some work done if we're going to keep this ministry financially afloat. Right. And that uh, pesky family needs some time yeah, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. My, my <laughs> wife keeps asking for some me time. So, so the, he's been operating for a while now out of Peter's house in Capernaum. Well, two miles north of Capernaum are two very tiny towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And uh, I can't remember, one of the apostles, Philip, I believe, is from Bethsaida. That's where he grew up. Okay. Uh, And Jesus, he hits these towns hard. All of a sudden, he just blasts them of uh, 
you guys, if uh, you're 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 not listening to my message, you want my miracles, and I've done miracles for you, but you're not listening to the preaching that comes afterwards. You're not buying into the message. You're not repenting and embracing the kingdom of God. Right. I, I heal your blind. Or I heal your lame. I yeah. fix the blind. I cure the lepers. Yeah. But you just go on and you don't follow my message. You, you just what's in it for me, and then thank you. Yeah. Take your message somewhere else because yeah. now I got what I want. <laughs> yeah, now that we got what we want, we we don't want to listen to you anymore. Um, and he comes down really hard on them. He compares them to the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, those are cities that are in modern day Lebanon on the uh, north north of Israel, but on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and they were part of Lebanon, uh, the region called Lebanon back in Jesus's day. But they're both. Um, considered very wicked towns. Um, Tyre, uh, the city of Tyre, uh, financed the Philistines to wage war against King David uh, and against uh, Solomon afterwards and to, to keep the Israelites from uh, from getting as far north as they should have gotten by keeping them at war. And then Tyre sells weaponry to both sides in the in the fight. Uh, you're the kind of the modern day Russia. Uh, All right. Let's keep poking the bear and let's keep selling both the bear and the hunter ammunition. Um, that's how Tyre worked. Um, Sidon is the home of Queen Jezebel, perhaps uh-huh. the most hated woman in the entire Old Testament. Right, we talked uh, about her with, we were talking about Elijah. Yeah, she hated Elijah. She was a, her, her name is Jezebel. The last part, Bell, is being named for the god Baal, the Canaanite uh-huh. god Baal. So she's Jezebel, and she's a huge fan of uh, the god Baal. And she had brought tons of prophets. We know at least 400 prophets down to Israel to convert uh, Israel to Baal worship. Uh, And Elijah goes toe-to-toe with her and ends up killing all 400 of her prophets. And she basically takes out a mafia-style hit on Elijah. (laughs) There is a price on his head. I've got big money for the man who brings me the head of Elijah. Uh, And so she's just considered evil, evil, evil. The Bible says one of the worst things about her, it says about anybody, when she fell out of a window and broke her neck, she was eaten by dogs. That's that's (laughs) as low as it gets. That's That's really low. the worst death. You were eaten by dogs. Dogs back then were not the pets that we keep today. They were considered to be pesky, nasty animals. Disgusting. Yeah. You would never let a dog in your house. That's just, that's vile. Why right. would you do that? Well, because you see what dogs do, right? They eat whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, they're yeah. really nasty animals. We've, we've domesticated them more since then, but yeah. <laughs> so I can see why they would not like either Tyre or Sidon, right? For just right. Nobody wants, history. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be compared to either one of those. They are uh, the proverbial bad guys. And Jesus, he really hits those two towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Now, what's interesting is nowhere in the Bible do we have documented his his missionary trips to those two towns. All we know is from these verses right here in Matthew that apparently they didn't go well, that people took the miracles but didn't embrace the preaching that always followed the miracles. Right. It would make sense. uh, These are northern towns. He's working out of the north. He probably just traveled around town to town trying to spread the word and spread his message and and healing as he went, which was his way. Right. And so he went to these towns doing just that, preaching, teaching, healing. And they said, thanks for the healing. Now go. 
I'm glad my leprosy's gone. I'm, I'm glad my six-month-old baby can breathe again. Um, thanks for giving my lame mother the ability to use her hands, but I don't want to hear you talk about God. You don't know God. Now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. <laughs> Monty Python. Yeah, buddy. I love Monty Python. <laughs> and then he goes on even further and compares Capernaum to Sodom. Yeah. And That's pretty mean. Everybody should know about Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the two most wicked cities in the Old Testament, um, they flaunted their disobedience to God. They were proud of it. Uh, God goes there to wipe the cities out, and Abraham negotiates with God and negotiates it between those two cities. If we can just find 10 Good men, five in each city. That's all it takes, five right. guys in each city, and you'll spare them. And in these two fairly major cities, God couldn't find 10 men. And so he wipes those cities out with fire. Uh, and Jesus com compares Capernaum, where he's working, right. to uh, to Sodom. Uh, and my guess there is, is uh, people knew who Jesus was, and they knew where he lived. He lives with Peter. Peter was a fairly significant figure in the community. And so I'm guessing people were coming down and knocking on the door, you know, late at night. Can Jesus come out and heal? Uh, right. <laughs> or in some cases, right, tearing out the roof and getting somebody yes, in to heal. Yes, we you know? know that happened. Yeah, they ripped out Peter's roof. To, so to, it was a big deal if Jesus came to town and yeah. starts doing this healing. But by golly, keep your preaching to yourself. Even right? there in Capernaum where he's done so many miracles, the people don't want to hear him talk about God. You don't – you're an uneducated carpenter. Right. What could you know about God? And so to to both uh, – to all three of the cities, to Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, Jesus has this really harsh uh, uh, judgment. Yeah. It will go better for those pagans who hated God on Judgment Day, then it's going to go for those of you who heard me preach and rejected me. Wow. That's serious. That's, that's, that's dang serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he called, he, within, with regards to Sodom, he says, you'd be better off in the place of the dead, Hades, right? Yeah. Wow. Let me find that quote to be clear real quick. But yeah, I tell you, Tyre and Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And then, and then Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So almost condemning them to hell. Yes. I guess you could say he is. Yeah. Which is terrible to hear from the actual Savior, the, <laughs> the Messiah. Oh, no. <laughs> Judgment day is going to be bad. All right. So what seems to be the main problem here what's the problem that jesus has with these people other than the fact that they're kind of give me what i want and spare me the the chat what is it he's kind of angry with them about these are people who absolutely believe we are too intelligent to embrace what you're teaching you don't have the right credentials right. you don't have the right background um you're not a levite so you don't work at the temple uh, everybody calls you rabbi, but we all know you didn't learn from a rabbi. You didn't follow a rabbi and get trained by a rabbi. You just made yourself a rabbi. Uh, and we are just way too smart to believe anything you have to say. Uh, you're not going to mislead us about God, even though you're doing things that only God can do. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're – 
they're looking for the piece of paper, so to speak. Yeah. I'm looking for somebody with a degree from the seminary <laughs> yes. to lead my church, even though you obviously are doing things that only God could do. Yeah. And therefore, I'll take what God would give me, but I don't need you spreading. Because what he's telling them in a lot of ways is, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, revolutionary. Yes, it is. Right. God loves the the poor. Yeah. The forgotten. God loves those people. And they're like, no, that's not what we've been taught our whole lives. And I can understand the the hesitancy to understand that because you've been taught your whole life. If you don't go to synagogue on Saturday and do all the festivals and do all the things, God doesn't love you. Right. Here comes Jesus right. says, you know what? They're wrong. God really does love you. He loves everybody. It's not about festivals and and doing all the things it's about loving God and being nice to people. That's what you should be doing. And that's revolutionary it to is. the thinking at the time, because all their lives for hundreds of years, that's what, been, what they've been told. You have to do these things. And if you don't, well, God hates you. Yeah. You're poor because God hates you. You're sick because God hates you. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not the truth. God really does love you. But along with that love, and, and we saw this in some of the earlier chapters, uh, three especially, with that love then comes an obligation Yeah, uh, to do what God asks you to do. And God asks you to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it really can be hard. It's really difficult at times. I understand that too. And so when Jesus comes and says, you know, you want to prove to God that, that you love him back, take care of the poor and the unwanted and the needy. Love those who are unlovable. They're like, ew. Yeah, that's not what I want. <laughs> don't I want, yeah. want to. I don't want to be down with those people. I don't want to feed them. I don't want to clothe them. I don't want to touch their nasty wounds. Right. Ew. And so, and and so that's you know that's this that crowd that's who Jesus is talking to tonight. He's finally shifted to those there in the crowd that are. I really want my glaucoma fixed, but I don't want to have to be nice to the people that I've I've enjoyed hating. Right. Don't make me give up my sin. I kind of enjoy my sin. Yes. <laughs> yes. Know? I'm kind of attached to my sin. I'm good with it. God seems to be okay with it. Why do you need to get involved, Jesus? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so the Jesus kind of turns and says. Well, here's my, here's my credentials, right? He turns around and says, the father has entrusted everything to me, right? Yeah. Basically saying God endowed me with the knowledge. I don't need some other rabbi or some other learned person to teach me. God himself gave me the power and knowledge and authority. Therefore, so he kind of goes into it, you know, uh, talking about, you know, God knows me and I know God. And the only people that really know God are the ones that I tell about yes. God. And so that's what I'm here doing is telling you about God. And so <laughs> you're too smart for your own britches. You talked about, you know, his message being revolutionary. What he says right there in that sentence, uh, it might skip over you and me, but that's that's borderline blasphemy, uh, what he says right there. Yeah. He says, you know, I know the Father and the Father knows me. And he uses this really unique Greek word there, uh, epigenosko, uh, epigenosko. It means to have the deepest possible uh, knowledge and identity with this other thing or other person, so deep and intimate that you are essentially of one mind, uh, as if you had always had one mind together, to know it so well. So what Jesus is actually doing by the use of that word 
is claiming to be God. Wow. Yeah, that would be blasphemous. You want to know why you ought to listen to me? Because I am God. Right. That's what he says. So he's he's furious with the people in the crowd that night, uh, and that's that's his when when they go, you know, why you? I, I don't I don't see your degree. Why you? And he goes like he says, I am God. Wow. I don't even think I'm just trying to think while you were talking about that. Is there an English equivalent word or? concept to that is way beyond subject matter expert or yeah. expert or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's well beyond any of those kinds of English thoughts and words. I'm, I don't think that we have. We don't. Um, about the closest we could come is uh, authors write books. Uh, and if you write a fiction book, authors in their minds will create a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often they'll have a really detailed background uh, and conversations that this character has had in their mind, only part of which ever make it into the novel. But the author knows that character, their mind. I created them. I have this deep affinity and knowledge of who this character is, even though you only get to see him a little bit. That's about as close as we can come to, to know more than anyone else could ever possibly know because you are the creator. That's a good analogy, by the way. There at the end, Jesus is kind of, like I said early on, he turns it one way. He gets really angry at these cities and calls them, you know, you'd be better off, you know, and you're going to end up in hell for the way you've treated yeah. me, right? And he kind of turns it here and he says, here's why I have authority because God gave it to me. And then he turns it even further and kind of pulls them back, kind of gives them a little bit of good news. And that's kind of verses 28 through 30, right? He's kind of... Look, all you have to do is what I tell you to do, which is essentially love God and be nice to people. Yeah. And that's all God really requires of you. Yeah. It's not a lot. No. <laughs> you know, it's difficult, but it's not a lot, right? Yeah. So loving some people is more difficult than others. But so he kind of pulls them back. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, he basically says in, in those last three verses, um, if, if you're not, if you're not going to follow what I teach you, then you got to get yourself to heaven. You've got to work yourself to heaven. And that's kind of like pulling the plow to, to plant your own uh, fields. Right. Uh, to plant pull your, the plow and put the, the, the oxen behind the plow. Yeah, <laughs> you, you pull know, them both. You know, this is, you know, I don't need oxen. I'll pull the plow right. myself. <laughs> he says, guys that are trying to save themselves are out there pulling the plow by, by themselves. And he finishes with this really tender words. Yeah. Let me pull the plow for you. Right. My That's why I'm light. here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can, I'll pull the plow. You reap the harvest. Let's, let's do that. Right. And that's the kind of the whole thing that a lot of Christian churches preaches is bring your troubles to God because he will lighten your load. It kind of probably comes from this thought right here. My yoke is easy to bear. God will take those and Jesus will take those burdens and help you with them if you give them up to him. So it's kind of interesting there. Um, I came across a, a quote in the Journal of Evangelical Homiletics uh, from 1987, uh, where, where one of the authors says, and if you pay close attention to this, you notice that Jesus, he doesn't call people to the church. He doesn't call them to ministry, uh, even of taking care of the poor. He doesn't call them to theology. He says, come to me. Right? Don't yeah. get wrapped up in 
degrees uh, or titles. Just come to me. I can fix what's broken. Come to me. Right. So he turns it quite nicely for if you're if you're willing to listen. Yeah. Then there's a good message. There. There's hope for us. There's good news. Chapter eleven. Eleven ends good. So. Any other thoughts on this one? Nope. That's everything I wanted to say. Okay. Have you given a title to the sermon yet? Yeah, I'm calling this one Honey and Vinegar. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar, but there's a time and a place for vinegar. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus in chapter 11 um, starts off with a little bit of vinegar, then a little more vinegar, and tonight he's pouring vinegar on hard, but at the very end, there's some honey. Outstanding. <laughs> If you'd like to listen to the sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be on our website at www.ponderumc.org. Uh, at the top, there's a menu called Ministries. Pull that down, look for the title Sermons, and then look for the sermon Honey and Vinegar. And this will have been delivered on January 30th, 2022. And with that, I think we'll close this episode from the small town of Ponder. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.